Uh, today we're continuing our, our study through the book of Ephesians. Uh, you, we've been going through it for the last couple of months, and we are now, we, have, we are breaking ground in Ephesians chapter 4 today. And so if you have your Bible, you can look at Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to be looking in the very first verse, going through 1 through 6. You might be thinking, how much longer are we going to be in this? Six chapters in Ephesians. And, uh, y'all, I think I'm going to be able to squeeze out another five sermons. So it's going to be pretty awesome. So anyway, we're going to get there. We're going to get through it. But uh, today, the focus for, for Ephesians, if you look in your bulletin, it says something about living a worthy life. And that's really what Ephesians chapter 4 is dealing with. If you look in the very first part of the verse, it tells us that we have been, uh, Paul urges us to walk worthy of all humility and gentleness. He said we're to walk in a worthy way. And he's speaking to the Ephesian Christians, the Ephesian church, uh, but this is a message that also applies to us. You know, one of the Blythewood churches, our calling is that we are to live a worthy life. And I know that we, we've heard this before, that it's important that we live you know, good lives, that we, that we live a life that's worthy of the calling that we received and all that. Now, I'm just a real, I mean, I, I'm not the sharpest guy in the world, but you know, that, that saying you ought to live a worthy life, I mean, to me, that's, it's sort of nebulous. And I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that I need like specific instructions before I understand anything. Uh, and that's one of the one of the issues that I've always had in marriage with my wife. I mean, there's things that she thinks I ought to know, and I'm like, "Listen, I'm dumb. I mean, you got to spell it out for me, or otherwise, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do." And so for me, I look at we're supposed to live a worthy life, and I'm like, "Okay, I need some specific instruction here." You know, and and when he's talking about living a worthy life, he's talking about Christians, the church together. Living a life that is worthy, that will make an impact and a difference where we are. Y'all, this life is not, is not a freelance life where we just live and we do what we want to do and, and hope that we, you know, that we just really are impressive all by ourselves. We are to work collectively together. We are to, and to do that, we are to be unified. And that's what we're going to see in Ephesians chapter 4 today. And one of the neat things I see is that Paul shares with us how believers can work together as a team. How Village Church can work together as a group of people, as a team, so that we can truly make a difference and live a worthy life. And so again, if you have your Bible, you can look in Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look in this in just a few moments. I know we've been in Ephesians for the last couple of months, but I just want to kind of rehash uh, where we've been. I talk about what's a little bit of background information here. Ephesus was a, uh, an ancient city that was, I mean, it was a very cosmopolitan place. It was a port city. It was located in modern-day Turkey. Um, it was in between two rivers, so people from all over the world came there in order to do trade. And because of this, uh, there's a lot of different kinds of people there. And Paul saw this, the Apostle Paul, who wrote this book, saw this as a great opportunity for Christians to come together to reach people who are coming from all over the world. He says, I mean, this is a great way for us to work together and really make a difference and introduce a lot of people to Jesus. Now, why do we want to introduce people to Jesus? Because Jesus, Jesus changes people. I mean, Jesus is radical in what he can do in our lives. And as I was looking at this, I started thinking, you know what? I mean, there's, I mean obviously we're different than Ephesus, you know, in Blythewood. We're not a port city. 
Uh, but, but we have, we're like Ephesus in that we have great opportunities here. We have people that come from all over the place. Have you all noticed this? To live in Blythewood. Have you noticed how many schools that we have in Blythewood? Have you all noticed that? I mean, you just go down Rhymer Pond Road. You know how many schools, elementary schools there are on Rhymer Pond Road? 395. I mean, it is unreal. I'm thinking, where? What is going on? I mean, it's just ever we have a new high school that's opening up this year, Westwood, over on uh, um, Turkey Farm Road. Um, I think right up Gro- Grover Wilson Road. I think if that's is that going to be a new high school? Yeah, new high school over Grover Wilson. I'm thinking, where is that even possible? I mean, where are these people coming from? They're coming from everywhere. And uh, as I, I'm starting to feel like one of these people that grew up in Blythewood, I'm like, people need to quit moving here. Because it's getting, too, it's getting too busy. And then I realized I'm one of the people that moved here. I mean, just as an example, I want to ask you, this, it was crazy, the first service. I asked, how many of you are not native, like, Colombians? You just r- r- raise your hand up. Look around. Y'all, first service was even worse than this. Okay, so how many of you are not native South Carolinians? All right. Crazy. Okay, for all of you South Carolina people, I mean, this probably just makes you angry. But let me share something with you. And just to let you know, I'm one of the people raising their hand too. But to let you know, that's a great opportunity that we have. It's a great opportunity that we have in order to reach people, more and more people, with the message of Christ. But if we as a church are going to do that, Paul shares with us that we've got to live worthy lives. And to live a worthy life... We have to be a team. We have to be united to make a great impact. All right, so how is that, how is that possible? It's what I like about Paul for a guy like me. Is Paul just he spells it out for us. He doesn't make it all nebulous, but he, he kind of puts, uh, puts some, you know, some meat on the bone that I can understand. So how, is, how can we as a church, a village church, how can we be united to where we truly make an impact in our community. First thing he shares with us is Paul lets us know if we're going to be united, he said you have to know, and that's all of us here, we have to know our place. We have to know what our place is. Look in verse number one. He said, I therefore urge, or I therefore the prisoner in the Lord urge you to walk worthy of the calling you've received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, accepting one another in love. Now, one of the things that I learned from this verse is that Paul understood what his place was before the Lord. He knew knew what his place was. Paul demonstrates or shares with us what his place was. He said, I, Paul, am a prisoner of the Lord. He understood his place. Now, when Paul said he was a prisoner of the Lord, he's not speaking metaphorically. Paul really was a prisoner. Uh, he He was in jail. And I've talk, we've talked about this many times. Anytime you hear Paul talk, he is always in prison. I mean, it's just like a great Christian witness for us. So if your kids go to prison, it doesn't always mean something bad. Yeah, I'm kidding. Uh, so Paul is Paul's in the pokey right here. And he's in prison because of his relationship with Jesus. The religious leaders of the day didn't like Paul. Got him arrested. Paul's in Rome in, in, under house arrest. And he's writing, he's writing this letter. And he says, I'm a prisoner he doesn't say, I'm a prisoner of Rome. He says, you know what? I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Paul, Paul didn't waver in his faith because his desire was to please God with his life, not to please people. 
And that's how he was able to make a difference. And, you know, I'm living for Jesus. Not living just for people. I'm living for Jesus. He wrote about this in Galatians 1.10. He said, am I trying to win the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please men? He said, if I was still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now, church family, if we're going to be united and live a worthy life, one thing that we have to understand is that we can't waver on this issue of who, who is the one who's going to give direction to us in life. Who's the one that's going to give direction to us? It's, it's to be the Lord. As a matter of fact, who we are is we too, as followers of Jesus, we are prisoners of the Lord. And if we're going to be united, we have to understand our place. We are prisoners of the Lord. We are his prisoners. We belong to him. Now, if somebody goes to prison, and I'm, I'm not saying any of y'all have had that experience, but my guess is when somebody goes into prison, one of the first things, what do you think is one of the first things they want to know? What would you guess? Other than who's my cellmate going to be? Yeah, the first thing you want to know is, when am I getting out? Yeah, how long am I going to be here? When am I going to get out of prison? Now, what's interesting to me is that when you are a prisoner of the Lord, I want you to understand that you are always going to belong to him. Now, there's the positive side of that thinking. There's nothing I can ever do to where God's going to, to push me aside and say, you no longer belong to me. When you come into a relationship, when we come into a relationship with Jesus, we always belong to him. The other side of that is we, are, we always belong to him. We are always a prisoner of the Lord. Uh, Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians six nineteen and 20, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. In other words, it belongs to God. Who's in you, whom you receive from God? He says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, you honor not yourself, but you honor God with your body. When you remember what your place is, when we remember as a church to whom we belong, boy, it makes it easier for us to remember what path we're to be on. When we understand, I'm a prisoner of the Lord, therefore I live for Jesus. You know, prisoners don't tell the warden what, what to do. The warden basically tells the prisoners what to do. He's the one who's in charge. And whenever I begin to understand my place, when we as a church understand our place, it is then that we can make a difference. It is then that we begin to understand, I live for Jesus and no one else. But as life goes on, that kind of gets cloudy for us and murky. Because you know, as life goes on, you start thinking, oh, you know, what can I get out of this life? How can, how can I really take care of my family and, and appease them and do all these different things to help, help them get where I think they ought to be? And life, life, just, life gets murky and foggy. Uh, we have a friend who's a pilot. And he's flown us to numerous different places. And I remember flying with him uh, on, on several occasions. And yet there's those times when, and I'm talking about small planes. I mean, I'd be in a small, like a little Cessna. Uh, one of my favorite ones, I think it was like a, a beach a beach craft plane. It was my favorite plane he had. It was a six-seater. And I remember flying with him, and we went into a cloud. And I mean, it was like, we were in a cloud for a long time. And I, I was sitting next to him, and I was like, hey, how do you know, you know, like when you're in a cloud, how do you know where you're going in a cloud? And you couldn't see anything. And he said, well, I have to rely upon my flight instrument. He said, it, it tells me if I'm banking to the left or to the right, and it's, you know, it, it keeps me on a level path. Now, whenever those flight instruments first came out years ago, 
pilots really didn't want to use them. It made them nervous. I mean, they'd have them in the plane, but they, would, they could go through a cloud. And what they would do is they'd say, I'd rather rely on my feelings than upon this flight instrument. Because they've been flying for so long, they thought, well, my feelings are pretty good. Let me tell you something. The worst thing that you can do when you're flying through a cloud is to rely on your feelings. Because what you, what you discover, what they found out is that you can actually be flying straight down. And you're in a cloud. You're flying straight down. And your feet, you might feel like, you know what, I, I'm, I think the plane's level. Yeah, it's level with the ground. And, and you might be feeling pretty good about yourself until you hit the ground. Now, a lot of us live our lives like that. A lot of us as individuals, as churches, we live our lives like that, saying, I'm going to sort of navigate. We can navigate our lives or navigate through this life according to our feelings. And so we end up doing some weird stuff. And, and, and life kind of gets it's foggy and cloudy, and we kind of base everything off of our feelings. And then, you know, yeah, your feelings are great, except we're, we're in a nosedive. And that's why... Paul tells us, he said, you don't want to, if you're going to be successful, you don't want to navigate your life according to your feelings, but you want to navigate your life according to God's word. You know, the Bible is like our flight instrument. And then it tells us when we're banking to the left, and it tells us when we're banking to the right. Whenever we can't see everything clearly, it will keep you on a level path. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tells us, it says, trust in the Lord. With all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. If we're going to live a worthy worthy life, as a church, if we're going to make an impact, we, we must know our place. What's our place? We are prisoners of the Lord. You're not a prisoner to yourself. Prisoner of the Lord, and then that changes the way you make decisions, changes the way our church is going to function and operate. But also, when I look into our text, another thing for us in, in being united, and if we're going to be united, Paul says that we are also to seek peace. So you need to know your place. But Bill Church, one of our jobs is to seek peace. Now, look with me and let's see verse number three. He says, diligently keeping the unity of the Spirit with the peace that binds us. Um, some of you might have a translation that says, you are to have every effort to keep the unity through the bond of peace. We as a church are to strive to have peace. Now, peace is something that's really attractive. You know, we all want to have peace. And yet, peace is something that is very elusive. Unity is something that is very, there's very few places where you are going to find unity and peace. Right now, we, we live in a very uh, politically divided country right now. I don't think there's any doubt about it. Um, elections are coming up, and we're going to see more and more stuff that's going to be thrown out there that's going to, that's going to divide many of us. So the question is, well, what's the answer to things like that? What's the answer for the church? You know, when we, we have a group of people in here right now. We have another group of people in the first service. When you have that many people, very few people are unified in thought. You know, we just don't. You know, we naturally don't get along. And I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about you know, our church is not like a fighting church or anything. But we just all have different opinions and different ideas. But Paul tells us, that, listen, if, if we are going to make a difference... He says we have to have 
unity. And he says that one of the ways to achieve that is that we are to have peace with one another. Now, peace is not something that happens by itself. You know, it's not like once you become a Christian that all of a sudden you're just all peaceful. You know, it's, it's, not like you never get, it's not like you never get into an argument again or that you have disagreements with people. That's why Paul says, he says, you are to diligently go after peace. Um, again, that other translation says you have to make an effort to keep unity. Why, why, why is peace so difficult? Why is unity so difficult, even, in, even with Christians? You, you want me to tell you why, one reason why? is because... There's other people involved. I, you know, I can keep peace real well by myself. You know, I'm feeling good. Um, if I was the only person ever created, I think it would be a pretty good place, right? I mean, I know you feel the same way. But people just sort of complicate everything. And whenever you have people, there's oftentimes when you have disagreements, you have arguments. And Paul says we're to make every effort to keep the peace. How many of you make every effort to keep peace? I think typically what happens is we make every effort to defend ourselves. You know, somebody says something you don't like. When somebody bows up against you, what's your natural response? I can tell you what it is. You're gearing up for a fight. You know, you're not thinking peace. Not typically. You're thinking, I've been wronged, and I'm going to show that person they ain't ever going to wrong me again. They don't have my opinion. I'm going to prove that they are a moron. You know, that's just, that's just our, natural, our natural thought process. But villagers, we're not going to make any headway in the community if we're looking to, to take care of just number one and not try to seek the bigger picture. Uh, a, a guy named Schopenhauer, who's a German philosopher, said, many of us are like porcupines in winter. He said, winter they get cold. He said, so they huddle together in order to gather warmth. He said, but what happens after a period of time? Their quills start to stick each other. And then they disperse and they die of frostbite. Christians, we, we, we gather together naturally for warmth and community. But what happens when you're around people for a period of time? You begin to stick each other with your quills. But this is where a Christian is different. God has given us the ability to forgive. As we forgive and seek peace and unity, we're able to, we're able to stay together. And stay warm. Now, Peter urged this when he said in 1 Peter 5 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sin. Christians, whenever we're on the same team and we work together and we forgive each other and we love each other, we can accomplish more than if we just decide we're going to go at it alone. That's why Paul referred to peace in verse number three. He said, it's, it, Peace binds you, or the bond of peace. That, that word bind, it means glue. What does glue do? It holds you together. Village Church, if we are going to, to impact and live worthy lives, we have to be unified and offer forgiveness and love to each other. So, so when we come together, how, how do we live a worthy life? Well, we have to be united according to Paul. We have to, we have, to have teamwork. And that occurs, first of all, when you know your place. Secondly, when you seek peace, and this last thing that I want you to see, we'll conclude. For us to be united and work as a team, we have to have sound doctrine. We have to have sound doctrine. Now I want to read you in verses 4 through 6. And this is where Paul explains what our doctrine is. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope. 
at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's above all and through all and in all. Now, one thing I've noticed over the years is how many people are get their feelings hurt. People are very, very sensitive. Uh, there, there are some of some of you who are who are very sensitive. There's nothing wrong with being sensitive. I am grateful for people who are sensitive. I, naturally, I really I I'm naturally not a very sensitive person. So I need people around me who are. You know, it's sort of like a, when if you stick your hand on a stove and it doesn't burn you, that's a problem. I'm one of those guys in feelings. Um, so I need somebody to say, hey, listen, your hand's on fire. Oh, I better get that off. Now, some people just naturally um, are very sensitive. They have very sensitive feelings. But this can be a negative at times. And whenever somebody, whenever we decide that we are going to stand and live according to Scripture, there are some people who are very sensitive to that, and they get frustrated at it, and they get offended at it. Case in point, people who say that they believe that this book is the Word of God. And I'm going to live not according to what people say. I'm going to live according to what God's Word says. And there's people, there's many people who will be offended at it. Uh, Case in point, again... I just thought, you know, there's, there's Chick-fil-A, right? Now, why did, why did Sam Cathy come out and say what he did in support of traditional marriage? Now, we turned it into something that was, you know, anti-something, anti anti-gay marriage. But why did people get upset? Because it went against their feelings. It went against their feelings, and it frustrated them. Now, folks, let me tell you something. If we're going to be impactful then we have to make a decision that we are going to live according to God's word, not because we're trying to live our lives to please people, and that's very difficult to come to that conclusion, but we are living our lives for God. Why would we do that? Remember, who are we a prisoner of? We are a prisoner of the Lord, not people. God desires for us to live according to his word. Now, for that to happen, we have to have a foundation. When we say we live according to his word, we have this thing called doctrine that we are to stand on, that we hold firm to. The doctrine, the teachings of God's word. Now, what is the doctrine that we are to be unified in at this church, to teach in this church? And this is where our text points out to us the basic doctrine that we have. Verse 4, it says there's one body, one spirit. We are called to one hope. We have one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. Village Church, if we're going to make an impact, this is what we hold to, these things. It starts off by saying we are one body. Now, that's one thing that I, I like. We are, we are one body. We have to remember that we're not all divided up as Christians. Christendom is not a bunch of different churches and we're all warring against each other. Yeah, we are one body. And in that body, there's diversity. Now, there's diversity in this body. Different cultures, we're, uh, we just saw that we're from different places. Uh, we have different upbringings. We were schooled in different ways. We have maybe different ideas of, of, uh, of the way we express our worship, all these different things. The human body, not every part of the human body is the same. There's different parts of the body, but they're under one head. And that head is Jesus Christ who directs and guides us in our living. So that's the first part of our doctrine that we, that we talk about. But then he, he also talks about that we have one Lord. Now what's the significance of that? We have one Lord. We don't believe 
According to Scripture, there's any other way to come into a relationship with God except through Jesus. That's non-negotiable. We will stand on that as a church. It's a part of our doctrine that Jesus is our only hope. Acts 4.12 says, Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Another part of our doctrine that we are to stand on is our faith. And when he mentions that we have one faith, he's not talking about us practicing faith. He's talking about the content of our faith. If we are going to be unified and make a difference and be a team, one thing that we have to have is the same doctrine, working off the same, the same page. What is it? It's the stuff we're talking about right now. You know, we have one Lord. We have one faith. He talks about we have, we have one baptism. At Village Church, we practice baptism. Now, why do we practice baptism? Well, it's not because baptism is something that makes a person a believer, but it is a physical sign, a physical mark that demonstrates to other people that you belong to Jesus. It is something that we practice in our church, and we will continue to do that. And then he says that we have one God, the Father. And I I really like this. I like the fact that Paul doesn't just say that we have God the Master, God the Judge. He says we have God the Father. You know what that indicates to me? That God loves us. That we are children of God. And when we understand that we are in the family of God, man, it makes it so much easier to serve Him and to live for Him instead of man. Because we are in God's family. Galatians 6, 4 says, Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you're a son, God has made you also an heir. Now, in closing, you might say this. You might say, I like some of the doctrine that we have, some of those things that you said that are mentioned in the Bible, but there's some things I don't agree with. And so I'm going to pick and choose what parts I'm going to follow. Let me tell you something. Doctrine is so important because it is the foundation on which we build our faith. And if your foundation is fractured in any way, guys, you're going to fall. Yeah, we all know the importance of a foundation. I mean, you look out that building, why are they building those, putting those footers in? Yeah, it's so we'll have a good foundation. So that whenever we decide that we're going to go over there and, and we have worship, that the roof is not going to collapse on our heads. Right? We want a solid foundation. You want to come through this life. Even though it's difficult and tough, when you go through storms, do you want to be able to weather the storms? Then your foundation is to be solid. What's our foundation? It is the doctrine that is given to us in this book because God knows best. And if we are going to be unified and make a difference, we stand on this word. We don't stand on me. We don't stand on you and your feelings. We stand on what God's word says. And as we do that, those people will see that when storms come, That God's people stand. They might be weathered. And at some point. They might look weather beaten. But they will stand. So we're going to make a difference. We're going to bring about change in our community. It only is going to happen as we are unified as a team. How do we do that? Know your place. We are prisoners of the Lord. Seek peace. We're not going to accomplish a whole lot if we decide that we're going to start fighting with each other and be petty. Seek peace. And then lastly, have sound doctrine. Let's dig into this word. That's why we're, we're promoting small groups for a reason or B groups for a reason. We want people to be discipled because we believe God has put us here to make a difference.